You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Happy Monday, Canada. We had our July 1st celebration, and to our American brothers and sisters, happy 4th of July. We are going to talk about that today. How the Americans celebrate versus the Canadians. How we celebrate and how they celebrate and what it says about our country. I love Canada Day. Now, this Canada Day, of course, here in Ottawa, there was the uh, march of James Top, and there were some, you know, a couple, I don't know the final number, hundreds and hundreds of people came. Great. Do your thing. I was taking one of my kids to the airport. He's flying to the Arctic to, to do a 52-day canoe trip through the, the north. So I was monitoring it, monitoring it through my uh, colleague, Mackenzie Gray. And, yeah, there was a couple of arrests at the War Memorial. That was about it. I was going to go down after, but there's nothing there. There's no point in a reporter reporting on people protesting because people protesting is protected. It's great. We want a democracy where you can protest, not national news. Oh, you protested and your point of view and whatever. Protest away. The idea that it's a national story that you're having a little march, good, do do your thing. You have every right to do that. This is not a controversial thing in Canada to have the right to protest. It is if you decide to park your, you know, your 200 big rigs and block a city or block a bridge. That's a story. You're breaking the law. There's a larger political story. When you've got the leader, the potential leader of the conservatives, Pierre Polyev, walking with James Top, validating him. Look at, you can read into that a lot of different things. Some people say, oh, I can't believe he walked with this guy. He's validating a guy that has gone on, and he has. James Top has appeared on podcasts of people who are nativist and other Words, far right. James Top has never said anything that bad. He's, he's, you know, he's a guy in uniform. He broke the rules. He thought that was worth his civil disobedience. Okay, I talked to him. I think that's fair. Others who have clomped on to James Top are totally different. They have Velcroed their own agendas to this guy's march. Pretty easy if you're not marching. You just, you just use a guy who's going to march for four thousand kilometers and. And slap your agenda on them and, and, and co-opt it. That's, that happens. That's happened. And Pierre Paul ever thought it was an opportunity for him to walk with this guy and show solidarity. But in showing solidarity with him, he was showing solidarity with the whole movement. The whole, and, he's, and he's unapologetic about the trucker protests. I don't know why he's doing it. He believes that works and maybe it does. It's not for me to decide the end. I will say this. You wasn't. You didn't see Doug Ford out there with those folks. Doug Ford had a different view. You have the Polyev view, which is, this is my group. I'm there to validate. I'm there to march with. I'm there to encourage. He did it with the trucker protest. He barely, you know, he vaguely condemns people that do illegal things. He's like, I don't like, I don't like any people that do illegal things. The entire trucker protest, where there's hundreds of trucks parked, was illegal. He never said a word about that. 
That's why you've got conservatives like Marjorie LeBreton saying, like, you know, what are you doing, man? You're supposed to be a law and order conservative. But that's okay. Doug Ford says, look, if you're into this anti-vax, anti-science, break the law business, you're out. Randy Hillier, you're gone. Roman Baber, you're gone. He purged his party of that because he thought, that's not what I stand for as a progressive conservative. That's not where most Ontarians stand on the vaccine, on the pandemic, on law and order, on trade. We're just not there. And he won a huge majority. So his view's been tested and rewarded. Pierre's view is untested and we'll find out he looks like he will win the leadership but we'll see but that was part of canada day and and if you want to protest great just don't do anything illegal and if you do expect the consequences that's that's the law i don't have a problem with that but america versus canada so canada can can, i don't know how you celebrate with fireworks celebrate with going to the lake we have a beautiful country and I've had the opportunity to travel everywhere in this country and north, south, east, west. It's it's fantastic. I've got one of my kids north. I've got another kid north, two hours north of Thunder Bay. She's tree planting right now. My wife was on Sable Island. She's just coming home. You explore this country. We lucky few who live here could not be more lucky. And the fact that we debate about it and fight for it and try to make it better and we disagree, but peacefully, that is what it is all about. It's not a perfect country now, but it is perfect in the sense that we are free to pursue the views towards a more perfect world. And that's what I love about this place. It's beautiful and it's diverse and it's vast. And I just could not feel more grateful for being Canadian. Now, I love America. My grandmother was American. I have many American cousins, first cousins. And I love our American family. And I love going to the U.S. In fact, I I have a fascination with the U.S. as well. Why? They're the Roman Empire of our time. Why not? They're the superpower. Their culture has consumed us. We have our own culture, but they're just ten times bigger. We watch their television. We watch... We listen to their politics more than they do listen to ours because they're so much more consequential. So when I say happy 4th of July, I mean it. I love the U.S. The, I don't like when Canadians condescend to the U.S. Oh, those Americans. Don't generalize about Americans any more than Americans should generalize about Canadians. When they say, oh, you, you all say A and you. Stop generalizing about us. We're diverse. We're different. And so are Americans. Canadians talk, oh, America's this, America's all about guns, America's all about... No, it's not. America is a vast, diverse place, and we ought to respect that and love that. And they're also in a battle existentially for their, to perfect their union and to make it more perfect. I get it. So I don't judge them, I don't condescend to them, I love them. We are so lucky to live by them. But I will say this about our neighbor, and they're the best neighbor you could have. It's a peaceful border... 80, almost 80% of our products go there. I love the American culture, the American way, the American border, our American brothers and sisters, their tourism. I love that. We have the best neighbor in the world. I am so grateful that we have the American uh, people as our neighbors and our brothers and sisters. But don't you feel this like right now as you watch what's going on? 
It's like you live beside this great couple, this family. They've got a big family. You love all their kids. They're always having big parties. Sometimes the parties get out of control. Sure, they've got their issues. Sometimes you hear them yell at each other. But on the whole, they lend you stuff. They're the best neighbor. And one day, Bob, you start noticing Bob. He's got this beautiful wife and beautiful kids and beautiful home and everything's great. And he's like, Bob's, Bob's having a few beers at night. No problem, Bob. And you notice Bob's having a couple more in the morning. And you're like, Bob's on a bender again. Bob's on another bender. You're like, Bob, what's going on? And then Bob is like smashing his car and doing lines. And it's like, Bob. And you're like, Bob, I got to talk to you. You've got a beautiful house, a beautiful wife, a beautiful family, beautiful kids, great job. What are you doing, man? You got to pull yourself together, Bob. And Bob is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drink more. It's like, no, Bob, you're going bonkers. And then Bob is like, gets in a drinking and driving accident. And you're like, Bob, what are you doing? You got to stop drinking. He's like, no, I need more cars. I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, that's, that's Bob. He's like, I, you know what I should do? Every time I get in a drinking and driving accident, I'm going to like buy another car because that, you know, I wreck one car. It's like, this is like America, like the Republicans on guns. It's like, there's a gun accident. What do we do? We need more guns. That, like, and I just feel like it's July 4th. I just feel like our great neighbors, it's like Bob's on a bender. Like, Bob, you've got a great place over there with great people and a great, everything about you is great. Like, pull yourself together, man. Bob, you're blowing it. Okay, so what we're going to do on the break is we're going to compare American patriotism to Canadian patriotism. The pluses and minuses of both. Stay with us. Strong views, powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hey, welcome back. Uh, Happy July 4th to our brothers and sisters in the South. Uh, Happy July 1st for us. Great, great weekend. I hope you had. We are comparing patriotism, how we celebrate our countries, how the U.S. celebrates and, and, and their characteristics versus Canada. Now, look, I'm not going to condescend to the U.S. I love the U.S. Obviously, I am Canadian, and I love this beautiful country, everything about it. I love how we celebrate. I love that we celebrate with pride, but without, we don't brag. It's not in your face. The Canadian way is not in your, although when we're in your face, in sports, I like it too. I like a little uh, confidence. I like it. I have no problem with that. We should be confident. We shouldn't mistake a modesty for a weakness. We should be defined not against America, but about ourselves. We should be proud of ourselves. We need, to, and we're young, and we're growing. So there's a lot to be done here. But I sure love. Uh, I love, so I'm not going to condescend, but you know, look, is America going through a particularly tough moment? You better believe it. Their democracy is at a place that, look, by the way, it could happen to us. It could happen to anybody, but theirs is in a particularly precarious place right now. I think they've got a terrible gun violence problem. They've got a distrust problem. They've got a paranoia problem. They've got a, 
They've got just a lot of divisions. And I feel for them. I don't condescend to that. We could have, we look at, we've almost lost our country in a referendum. So we know about this kind of thing, but this is slightly different. There are things that are incomprehensible about our neighbor, how they respond to things like mass shootings and the, and, and the gun issue. Incomprehensible to me. But we have those divisions too. So how do we celebrate it? What's different? one 1010 or 7110. 1-855-633-1010 or 7110. And if you just want to get on the horn and brag a little, if you just want to get on the horn and say, I just love our country, I don't mind. I have no problem with that either. Because patriotism is an important part. Evan, look at the gun situation. A gunman opened fire inside a busy shopping mall in the Danish capital, killing three people and critically wounding others. Yeah, that is true. Um, let me just look at that. In Den- I spoke to the uh, Danish ambassador yesterday. And the first thing they said is this was not a semi-automatic weapon. It was a hunting rifle, as they understand. It was not an act of terror, thank God. It was a, a 22-year-old Danish guy who was arrested. Maybe he has mental health issues. But the response is not, we should arm more people in malls. Like, after Uvalde, what shocked me is, you know, some of the Republicans saying the answer is we've got to have fewer doors into schools and arm teachers. It's like, where, where do you think that's going? What's the logic of that? You think once you arm a teacher, don't you think one day there'll be a, a teacher with a mental health problem and a gun and they lock the door in a classroom of kids? Then what? Like, how hard is that to foresee? The problem is not more guns. The problem is that you the availability of guns. It's so clear. That's why you have more mass shootings in the U.S. than anywhere else. Now, that's their culture. They could do it. But, like, when you pitch, like, you know what we should do? We should arm the teachers and lock off the schools. Well, what happened the day when the teacher's having a bad day and they pull out the gun on a student? Then what? You going to arm the students now? Come on. These are the, this is, no one in Denmark was saying, you know what we need to do now? Get everyone in the mall with a gun. This is what I don't understand, but cultural differences. Cultural differences. Now we're trying to find the good part of, you know, 71010 and um, 1855-633-1010. What is the, uh, Evan, we Canadians are so quick to judge Americans. I agree. We should be as patriotic as they are. Do you know as a mother, uh, it is hard to say goodbye to your child who is off to defend their country. They do the same name of patriotism and good for them. You are welcome in the U.S., but don't try to change their country. We Canadians are not patriotic. Yes, we are. I disagree. This country was founded on Christian principles. They're all gone. Look, let let me just respond. Yes, we're patriotic. Yes, they're patriotic. Good. We both are. It's hard to say goodbye to your child who's off to defend their country. They do it in the name of patriotism. We do too. Hey, whoever you are, talk to the men and women who serve our uniform. From the Boer War to the First World War to the Korean War to the Second World War to Afghanistan. Hey, we serve too. Don't denigrate our men and women who serve. Patriotism runs deep in our veins. It is, we are, it is bred in our bones too. Talk to the men and women from Newfoundland who just mourn their losses in Beaumont. Come on now. 
Don't try to compare a patriotism. We are just as deeply patriotic. We may express it differently. We are. It's just as hard to say goodbye to a Canadian boy or woman or man who's going off to war. Stop that. And by the way, as for the we're founded on, yeah, we may be founded on principles that derive from Christian or Judeo-Christian principles. I get that. But this is a secular society. And I don't really know what you're bemoaning there. But So I'll take you on on that. Evan, patriotism is supporting your country all the time and the government when it deserves it. Patriotism, uh, Mark Twain. Uh, yeah, thank you. Evan, we need to mind our own business and stop deflecting our own issues, our own issues and with U.S. issues. Well, I, uh, listen, we live beside the most important uh, empire in the modern age. So it is not shocking that we are impacted by, we trade more with them, we travel more to them. Like, stop that. Like, of course, we're going to talk about what happens in the U.S. Why is that so crazy? We cross-border shop. Like, these are our brothers and sisters. Maybe if we had things we could be proud of, not a single one of those wars was our business. I, I disagree. You don't think the Second World War was our business? I do. You don't think Canada has a role to step up to defend democracies? I do. You're not proud of the men and women who served in Afghanistan? I am. I know there was mission creep there, and I know that that changed. But I can tell you, I'm damn proud of what they were doing to try to get young girls educated there. Fabio, what's up? Hello there. How are you today? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. What's cooking? Uh, this is the beauty, uh, the beauty of Canada, and the democracy we have here is uh, non-existent anywhere in the world, I believe. And as a beautiful family, we got to grow together and make a better world for everyone in this world. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, it's a beautiful country. Um, Fabio, thank you. I, and I hope you had a good celebration. Thank you so much for the call. And I love, I love your expression of pride. Uh, Fabio, good one. Paul in Laval, what's up? Yeah. Hi, Evan. Uh, I love the Canada. I think it's a great country just as much as the States, but, uh, let's, uh, get some facts here. You know, you don't call balls and strikes all the time. You know, okay. sometimes you have your narrative, and I understand that. Sure. You know, the CRTC sure. has, has controlled all these stations. We've talked against the government. Sorry, what, 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 what do you mean, things. the CRTC? What, what's the narrative? I'm, well, you're well, saying I'm controlled well, by the CRTC? No, the RTC uh, is the police of the airways, it, let's face it. Uh, and if you don't follow the government's uh, narrative, say, you talk, say, for example, you call uh, a prime minister a dictator. You know, you probably lose your job or your, your station will be to, 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 respectfully, no. No, we don't, they don't. The CRTC does not control the, quote, narrative. They never contacted me. I've worked in this business for 20 years. I, listen, you may have a fantasy about a conspiracy about the government narrative no more than when Stephen Harper was in power or when Justin Trudeau or Jean Chrétien or Brian Mulroney, they don't control. That's not how it works. There's hate speech, but no one forces a political agenda on it. Sorry. I, I'm sure you love that conspiracy theory. The beautiful thing about Canada is that's not true. We're free to say whatever we want. We criticize the government fairly. Now you and you can too. But I, I'm sorry, I can't sit here and let you say something that is phantasmagorically false. Anyway, happy Canada Day. This is a this is Canada. The government does not control the narrative. Anyway, we got lots more. Hey, I'll take more calls. Happy Canada Day. Happy Fourth of July. Lots more to come. Stay with us.
Authentic voices, real conversations. This is The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hey, welcome back to the show. Uh, I got a lot of texts, by the way, on patriotism, and I'm going to try to come back to them later in the program. Um, and Mark from Dunville told me that I'm a gatekeeper. I'm a gatekeeper. Wow. I, I, I got to figure out what these gatekeepers are. Like, what, is a police a gatekeeper? Is a judge a gatekeeper? I've got, like, I don't even, I'm trying to figure that out. But, okay, I guess I'm a gatekeeper now. Um, you know that I spent a lot of years as a coach and a co-coach with, for my son with, alongside some of the best people I met. My wife was a coach. And I love uh, sports and young people that want to play professional hockey or just play any sport. And, and credit to the Toronto Star. Uh, and we always credit any story that inspires us to do some calls. The Toronto Star wrote a powerful story uh, about a young guy named Lucas DeCalloway. And Lucas... Um, when he was 14, was being bullied. And he was a really, really good hockey player. And the bullying was so brutal that it's led to a lawsuit. And, and, and what I want to do now, and this is such a powerful story. And again, credit to the Toronto Star. We, we didn't know about the story without reading the Star. I want to bring on Brian DeCalloway, the father, uh, Lucas's dad. Um, because I want you to know about this story so we can understand what how what kids are experiencing and how institutions aren't protecting our kids. Uh, Brian, first of all, thank you for joining us. No, no problem. Thanks. Can you tell our listeners, Brian, uh, what happened to, uh, to Lucas? Um, he was attending a private hockey school in Kitchener called Victus Academy. Um, and there was quite a bit of bullying going on, uh, jealousy. Um, he's uh, quite talented at, at what he was at, at the, the game of hockey. And uh, eventually he had enough. And when we reported it, the um, uh, we actually reported it several times to the school. But uh, when we had enough, um, the bullies actually, in order to protect themselves, fabricated a story that uh, through social media and through um, – parents and stuff like that, that Luke threatened to kill them. And uh, ultimately, Luke was falsely arrested by police at gunpoint. Um, and here we are today. So it's been... Uh, well, hold, hold on. Slow, I just want you to slow down. This is, this is remarkable. And I'm speaking to Brian DeCalloway, uh, Lucas' dad. So Lucas is 14. He's at a school that is for highly um, talented kids that, you know elite athletes that are young, potential professional hockey players, and some other kids fabricated a story that your son had a plan to kill his classmates and had a gun. And then the police took this so seriously that when your son was walking out of an appointment, police not only approached him, pointed their guns to him, told him to get out of the truck because they thought he was a killer. And it was a a total fiction. He was, someone had made a fictional account 
saying that your son had done this, and it was all BS. Right, right. So he, he was arrested. Jumping. Yeah, he was arrested, and then three months later, the Crown Attorney turned to us and said, the entire story is fabricated, he's completely innocent, the charges will be dropped. Um, the unfortunate part, um, it was his OHL draft year. I don't know if he would have been drafted. Some people say he would have, and... Uh, no team wanted to look at him. His reputation has been ruined. Um, even to this day, it's hard for him to um, get the recognition because the story is behind him. And uh, so now it's his his day. It's it's time to uh, the, for the truth to come out. So, so so this kid, your son, could have been drafted, but of course now there's this. You know, every team looks at him and is like, well, this kid could be trouble. This kid had a gun. This kid, all untrue. But right. his teammates right. were bullying him. This is so. Now this didn't happen out of the blue. I understand that Lucas was being bullied for a long time. Right, right. We we knew of the bullying. We didn't know the extent of it. Um, you know, sometimes you think as parents, you know, is it teasing? You know, just let it go. But then uh, when the truth came out, um, actually, unfortunately, after the arrest, you know, we were we, we were disgusted. You know what I mean? Um, you know, did we do enough as parents? But I mean, it's, uh, you know, part of the equation, too, is Luke was afraid to tell us, you know what I mean? So it, sure, was, sure. it was it was difficult. So Victus Academy, did they know? I know you're now now you pay 20 grand to go there. Um, yeah. You're expecting your kid to be protected. And right. and Victus right. Academy, um, you're suing them. Um, and your complaint is that he your son was a frequent target of bullying and they didn't do enough to, they knew about it and didn't protect them. Is that yeah, it? As, yeah, I, not to get into much of the legal stuff, because that's where the lawyers come in, but they, they were notified, I can't say exactly how many, but it, it was dozens of times about stuff that was going on, and it was it was downplayed. So, um, you know, could this have been avoided? Absolutely. You know what I mean? It just it seemed to lead to where we are now, you know what I mean? So... Well, this is incredible. In, in the, just so people understand, um, the lawsuit says that um, the, your son's teammates were making false allegations and rumors, including that he was mentally ill, he was a possible shooter at school, and that he'd researched weapons with the intent to purchase one and fatally harm students on property. Oh, my God. And all yeah. this is untrue. I just, this is so tragic. How, how's I your know. son? Why don't, I don't want to lose sight of, of everything, but how's your son? He's he's doing well. Um, he's... I, I got to admit, he's got so much courage behind him. Um, when we talked about the lawsuit and coming forward with his story, he was 100% behind it. Um, I, I was shocked. Um, his goal is he still wants to make the OHL or a, a higher level, and he does want to start a foundation against anti-bullying. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> you know, I get a little emotional when I hear that. But he, he's got such strength and courage. It's just uh, – Unbelievable. He still got some hurdles to overcome, um, you know, some confidence and some uh, um, a lot of people say he's got the skill to get to the next level, but he's got to work on some of the, you know, the demons that he has there. Right. So, oh, man. And has anyone on the other side, like, did you ever find out who made this false account, this destructive false account? Who's behind that? Isn't there must be an investigation into that? Yeah, we, we have all that information documented. It, um, there's a, a quite lengthy police report. Um Minor hockey, some of the, the bullying escalated into minor hockey. They did their own investigation, found the kids guilty. Um, 
unfortunately, there's more to the story. A lot of it was covered up by, you know, minor hockey and Hockey Canada. So um, there'll be more coming out. But it's uh, right now it's just getting the initial story out and, um, you know, to go from there. They're fighting. The school is fighting this lawsuit. Yeah, um, I'm sure. I'm sure they will. Um, I mean, that is their position. Um, you know, we're we're prepared for this, and uh, um, you know, this has been two years in the making for us. So it's not just a you know spur of the moment thing. We've uh, you know consulted with our family, our lawyers, and stuff like that. So um, we think this needs to come out, not just for for Lucas, but for the game of hockey. Um, as Luke said, he doesn't want this to happen to the next kid, you know, so um, that's where the courage comes out again from him. So we'll we'll see where the journey brings us. I just want to say your 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 son's showing a lot of courage. And yeah. and Brian, I really appreciate you you telling us about this lawsuit, but more than anything, as you say, the situation. Um yep. this is a fight and a hockey player has to fight, but not you never thought like this, but they do now. And and th- this is the this is the sophistication of bullying. Uh, Brian DeCalloway, father Lucas. Um, I wish you luck. I hope Lucas finds his confidence and and pursues his dream. But in the meantime, thank you for this uh, courage and please stay in touch, Brian. Thank you, sir. Okay, definitely. All right, thanks for the time. Okay. Thanks, man. All right, bye. Bye. You imagine that? You imagine that destructive kind of bullying? We got to take a break. Marinate on that. We're going to talk about. Teaching with no grading? Next. Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the program. Uh, are you ready to dial in? I need your opinion. I know it's summer, but this is a time when teachers take a break and then uh, people reevaluate. Maybe we should fix up our learning. Well, there's something now called ungrading. And in London Heights, there's a London, Ontario high school teacher that is into it. Okay, here's what ungrading is. Ungrading, and this is what she's practicing, is an alternative method of grading students in the new school year. And basically, you just don't, they, well, I'm going to let her explain it. Okay, so this is Stacy Oliver. She spoke to my great colleague, Christy Cameron, on, on 580 CFRA last week. And, and she said her students work together on grades twice a year. The students grade themselves at midterms, and at the end of the semester. So I'm going to ask you, do you agree with this ungrading, like no more grades, 1-855-633-1010 or 71010. Here's Stacy Oliver talking about it. The students propose their own grade at those two points, and then they uh, have to justify uh, justify and prove to me that they, they, that they have earned that grade. Okay. Um, how do they do that? We have digital portfolios that they create throughout the semester that showcases um, not only their best work, but all of the attempts at the work, um, at the uh, all, all the attempts that they did along the way in order to get to that final piece, which we call the showcase piece, which is what they deem to be the best representation of their learning. 
can they just propose any grade they want? They can, um, but they have to be able to justify that. And the way that they have to do that is to be able to refer to the curriculum expectations um, from the Ontario curriculum. Okay, so they have to justify that uh, by referring to the expectations. So no, it's called ungrading, and she said it's about changing the understanding of how to measure success in learning. There's lots of evidence, lots of evidence that suggests um, that grades are very subjective, pretty difficult to be able to objectively say, you know, this number is the number that truly captures the learning. I mean, I guess. Not in math. Not in science. Not in history. Not everything is subjective. I mean, there's a subjective element in things, but, you know, subjectively, two plus two does not equal six. It equals four. And objectively. Right? You have to know certain things. Math. Grammar. Now, you can always say, oh, but but everything's subjective. That's not a good... If you think that's a bad history paper or a bad English paper or a bad... I like it. Okay. But guess what? There are standards. You've got to make arguments. You've got to have synthesis and you've got to have analysis. So, well, I I appreciate this. I, I You know, I'm a competitive person. I like standards. You have to work hard. Not everything's like, you know, what do you think? Well, I, that's the best I could do. Okay. Now everyone learns differently and you should be accommodating and the system should not be about one kind of student. I understand that. But come on now. Like here's what's happening. My nephew, I, just before the break, my, my, my great nephew, Thomas, was at something called the Etobicoke School of the Arts, which is a, a specialized school for kids who are great in the arts. He's a brilliant singer and so I went to see his last um, production before he graduated. It was called Urine Town. It was a musical. Now, my kids went to school, but I went to school. I did, you know, theater. I tried it. And I love the school plays or the musicals. Like our school had that. My kids' schools had that. They're great. You know what the difference was? When I saw the Etobicoke School of the Arts, it was like night and day. These kids were unbelievable. It was on a different level. They weren't like, oh, this wasn't a high school production. The music, phenomenal. The singing, out of this world. The acting, like they were professional. These are kids that will do this for a living. Not dabblers like me, who just wanted to check it out. But the Toronto District School Board has voted to say, we are going to change the administration policy for these specialized high schools and these specialized so we can make it more accessible. That's what they want to do. They say, well, it's too elitist. We want to have a fair chance for everybody. It's just too elitist. We've got to basically say, yeah, we should do it. Public education is for everybody, they say, and we shouldn't just have it for the talented. I just say, why? You're wrecking the school. There's lots of public schools, but you know what? There's lots of kids in public schools that are elite, either elite athletes or elite at something, and they also should be, what are you going to do? Say, you know what? No elitism. 
These kids, it's elitism to have talent. It's elitism to dedicate your life to something. These are kids that are going all out because they love this. They're better at it than the other kids because they're more dedicated. Why shouldn't they be a common? Well, you know what? The dabbler should now be with the fanat. No. What is, it is not an excuse. Talent is not a judgment on someone else. If you're better at me in math, good for you. If you're better at me than science, good for you. If you're a better athlete and you're more dedicated, good for you. If you're better at theater, good. Why is why are we saying no? Everyone should have the same. You have the same shot. You have the same opportunity to try out for these uh, specialized programs, but you might not make it in. That's not elitism. That's standards. You have other opportunities. Not everyone gets to make the first team. Not everyone is as good as everyone else at everything. That's not equality. You have What we are looking for is equality of opportunity, not equality of talent. And those kids that have talent, we should water it down. We should be nurturing talent. In the same way, we should be helping kids that need help. Je- Jeff in Scarborough, what's up? I have a, you know, I guess you don't go to church. But if you did, and especially black churches. I have musicians in, in, in the band in my church that will rival any musician anywhere on this earth. And I'm a musician, I'm telling you there. And they have never went to school one day. They learned all of it by playing in church from the time they were 10, 11, 12. Okay. Now they are young adults. Great. And so, so that's good. I, I love this. What's your, what's your, why, why is this relevant? I'm, I think this is great, but what, what are your, I, what's your point? I'll tell you why. To deny them an opportunity to go to a specialized program because they didn't go to some recognized music school is unfair. And that's what happened. Why are we denying them? Sorry, sorry. I I, I literally don't know what you're talking about. If those kids applied to one of these specialized programs, and they would get in. Like, why are they denied? They they may have talent, but, like, uh, like, I don't understand. To get to the interview process, to get into these schools, Evan, you have to come from a recognized music school. You can't just say, you know what, I play in my church. I need to get into this school. I, well, I, I don't, I don't know about that. Before you get to the audition process, before you get to the audition process, you have to come from one of these schools, the Toronto School of Music or something that's recognized. I, I, like I, see, see, I, I don't know that because my nephew didn't come from a recognized school. He just, he just showed talent. Like, I, I listen, if that's the case, you know, fair point. I don't think that's true. If you have talent because you learn music in church and you display it at the audition, you're going to get a hint. Uh, let me take a break. Uh, I'd like to keep going on this. L- let me see what we can do. Stay with us. Listening to the iHeart Radio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show. Hey, our, our phones are blowing up about this education story. So we were talking about a teacher in London, Ontario, um, who has this idea that kids can grade Stacy Oliver. They they can grade their own grades, and they propose a grade, and they have to meet a curriculum, and then she says, she she eventually has a veto. Let's say they're doing crappy work, and they say, we, I, I deserve an A+. plus. She can say this. For the most part, I would say we were all really close, um, really close, and 
if I had to adjust a grade, I so I have you know I retain the right to <laughs> have have say, nah, you haven't quite justified that. Talk to me a little bit more about it. So she says she has a veto. So we're talking about that. So so should you have these ungrades, let kids propose and give them self confidence? And I was sort of twinning that with the the Toronto District School Board, which is essentially going to get rid of these specialized programs um, to allow everybody in. So you know if you're in one of these special like the Etobicoke School of Arts where these elite sort of um, kids, not elite financially, but they just have talent and dedication and they're doing great work. But, you know, the TDSB says, you know, that's not fair. It's public school. Everyone should get a right. So just apply and go in. And I, I actually disagree with that. I, I, I think there's a place in the public school for everybody, obviously, and every, but, but it, why, what's wrong with a specialized program for people who have specialized skills? Like, why is that so crazy? I don't think that's elitism or unfair. I think it's, you know, these, these kids are, are, are really into something. That's great. But I just wanted your thoughts on all this stuff. What do you think? Do you agree with this method of teaching and grading? Do you agree that everyone should have access to everything? No, public schools should never have any specialized focus, any sort of, you know, exam to get in. Good luck getting into university without grades. It sounds like giving a trophy to all kids for showing up. Is this why our kids are getting dumber compared to the best of the rest of the world? Grades are subjective. Wow. Really? You either know the subject or you don't. That's great, Evan. Students in grading themselves. China, India, and Japan will be rubbing their hands with glee. Ella Thornhill, what's up? Ella? Are you there, Ella? Hi, Ella. What's cooking? What's cooking? My mom was a teacher, my daughter is a teacher, and my daughter who is teaching now, she has kids on each uh, different level in her class, and she has to plan on a different level for the kids that are stronger, for the kids that are weaker. That doesn't mean that one is better than the other. There are some goods that are good at one subject, the other kids are better in the other. And everybody is so scared to step on everybody's toes these days that yeah. they're, God forbid, the kids should be upset if he's not doing well in math, but he is succeeding in biology. I sucked in math. I went into sciences, and I went into a medical profession. My husband sucked in biology. He's an accountant. So you know what? It, it just You have to help out the children that are good at something and not put them down if they're not good at something else. It, it's just so silly, and people are getting so... I don't even know. They're so scared when the kids get a gold medal because, God forbid, another kid is going to be crying because he didn't get a gold medal. Yeah. Well, work a little bit harder at that, and you will get it. I'm with you. But, you know, it, it's just silly. It's Look, again, silly and, and I would say this, and now. I thanks for the call. Look, I, I would say this. Lots of kids need accommodations. And, and, and one thing I, I think the world makes a mistake that we only we give resources to kids who have innate talent. We should give the exact same resources to any kid. The kid who is struggling, the kid who's got a LD, a learning disability, and the, and the kid that's super talented. You should not have resources only allocated to talent. That's unfair. But you should that but we should make sure that people who are talented also get opportunities. I mean, I think, uh, you know, that uh, I got Steve. What's up? I very rarely agree with you. But yes, today, yes, the, the teachers need to be able to teach the student their, their their thing. Like if your kid can do something, 
there shouldn't be a spot for every kid there. Like that's not the way it's going to work. Your your kid's a couch potato. That's what your kid's going to be. Couch potato. You're not going to have here. You go into this class and be couch potato and bring every other kid down while you do nothing while every other kid excels. Yeah, you got to keep your specialized classes for the specialized kids. That's the way it goes. So, so we actually agree on something. Yeah, I don't ever agree with you on politics. I don't think that you're hard enough on him. You'll back down too often. From is that right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I believe they're all corrupt, and I don't believe that you believe that they are. I don't believe they're. they're all, I mean, I'll call they it corruption. I don't believe, are. but you can't and say you that unless you have the evidence. You have to have the Whoa, evidence. Oh, I don't know. The evidence speaks for itself. <laughs> Ethics, all of them, all of them. They all speak for themselves. You rock and chair king. They're all the all the the, all, the evidence is all there. The police can only. Uh, you know, the police can only go after the ones that they're allowed to go after. Your numbers are all skewed for every other reason other than the fact that. Have a great day, buddy. Right. Well, hey, listen, I, I love I that. Love. I love that you're calling. I love that you're calling, and we agree on something. Uh, but that's part of it. I love the fact that we disagree. I'm like, hey, that, that's the conversation. Um, we have so many calls on this. Uh, Jim, what's up? I mean, Jim, we may have lost you. Uh, how about Lisa? Lisa, do we have you, Lisa? I don't know, man. Anybody there? Lisa, 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 what's going on? You got you, Lisa? When when we figure out who's on the call, I got I got a Jim, I got Lisa, uh, Evan. Um, I think her paycheck should be um, subjective, really. Hi, Evan. You said it best. You need to nurture talent and help those who need it. A specialized school is for the elite. That does not mean that there's unlimited capacity for students because of desire to be better. Basically, win the audition and you're no questions asked. Yes, a meritocracy. Now, look, does that mean we should not be funding public schools more? I'm a believer that we should do way better. Like, we have a crisis in our public schools. we got to do more. And the education system needs more. But the answer to the education system isn't, well, you know what we should do? Give every kid the opportunity to go to these very few specialized schools. I'm just telling you, the talent I saw and displayed there was so overwhelming. Why do we want to make, why would we water down the best? What we should be doing is not watering down the best, adding water to everybody else too. A rising tide lifts all boats. Now, as for the grading themselves, there are a Huge number of more sophisticated and diverse pedagogical educational ways. There's lots of ways to teach. And I bet you this, this teacher, and I'm not just going to dump on her, maybe this can work for her. Maybe there's a, like, I'd like to see the data on it before I, I just tee off on it. But I do think this. I do think you got to listen to students, and there's not one way to teach. But we should be very careful being too afraid to tell kids to get their act together. You got to work hard. Adrian, what's up? Hello? Uh, Adrian, I got you. Wait, what's going on? Hey, um, my daughter goes to a topical school of the arts, and this year, it, it's not that they want to get rid of them. They haven't said that yet, but what they did is there used to be an audition process. She's in musical theater. There used to be an audition process, and they didn't care about marks or anything else. You had to audition, you demonstrated a talent, and you got right. in. Um, this year, though, the TDSB voted that specialized schools will still exist, but they're making it more equitable 
So they're getting rid of any form of audition or performance-based right. right. criteria to get in so right. that it's completely lottery-based. Right, that seems right? to be bon- That's exactly right. It's bonkers. Like, why but don't you want I, talent? I, it's nuts. Like, it's that's nuts. Not what, it's crazy. What, what these kids go out, when, they, when she goes out to audition for something in, in, in the performing arts, she's got to audition. Yeah. So what are you teaching kids? You tell them, oh, they call it, what happens when they get out into the world I for university or whatever? It's nuts. They're getting but rid I, of I the like... very thing. Like, it's yeah. got to be a meritocracy. It's like one guy said, hey, but they learn music in church. Who cares? You get in there, you you nail that audition, you stick the landing, yeah. you should get in. Like, I'm with you. Getting rid of the audition process is like, hey, let's get rid of the draft. Anyone that wants to play in the NHL, get, like, I don't get it. No, well, I feel like I feel like it's the first step in getting rid of the specialized schools altogether. Yeah, because you dilute them down, and then eventually the teachers, even that are there, they're there because they love teaching. I'm about to hit a break. Hey, good luck to your daughter, by the way. Uh, That is a a remarkable school, and thanks for calling it. Let me take a break, folks. Lots to come. close attention to your money, your world. You're listening to the Evan Solomon show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. You probably probably think uh-oh, the uh, a recession's coming. Two quarters of negative growth. You might be worried that inflation is hitting you. You might be, I don't know, you know. Mortgage your home when you fill up your car. Go to the grocery store. Go to the pet food store. Then, like, prices are going crazy. You think, God, how am I going to live? How am I going to survive? I just want to tell you something real quick because this, this, this. So I drop off one of my kids at the airport. And I'm kind of in an emotional moment. So I get into the elevator. I'm going back to my car. And a security guard, uh, a woman, is in the elevator with me. And, and she's going on break. And she's very chatty. How are you? I said, good. How are you doing? She goes, ah, I'm not so good. I got to, you know, it's, I'm just waiting for my payment. I got to get 500 bucks because I'm behind on my payments and I got to pay off my credit card. And she just launches into it. And she launches into a story about her payment and some of her kids and some mental health issues with the family. And she's a single mom and she's working ends meet. And she says, thank God for the food bank. So here she is working at the airport. She's a security guard. She's a single mom. Her, and she told me her, like, anyway, we actually ended up having a coffee because I was just kind of like, I, I was feeling a little emotional about my kids leaving. And, 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 you know, I felt it made me feel so fortunate. But here is a, a working woman, a mom. She's working hard. She cannot make ends meet. She cannot make ends meet. And she's busting it out every day. And I was thinking about her because I just met her on the weekend. And when the list of the CEOs of Canada's largest companies and the CEOs got a 23% pay increase in 2021, the CEOs increased their pay by 23%. Now, let's just pause. Remember earlier on the show, I don't mind a meritocracy. If you're talented, you get paid. And if you're, I get it. But how hands up if you got a 20 3% pay increase this last year. Oh, are you driving your car and putting your hand up? 
Did you get a 23% increase? Well, Canada's top CEOs did. The Globe actually published a list of them. They get base salaries of a million dollars. Now, these are the biggest companies in the world, in the, in the country. But there are, there with stock options and other values, there are CEOs that are not just making 10 or 20 million. They're making, there's one that made over 100. But on average, the aggregate is 23% increase. Now, you might say, that's okay. They're making money for their shareholders. I don't mind that, Evan. I don't understand this. I thought you said talent deserves talent. But is there something wrong when we're all worried about recessions and CEOs are getting jacking it up on average by 23%? So I want to bring on, I I want to understand this. I don't want to success shame, but I also think we as a society have to realize that the disparity between the average worker and the CEO is growing. And that is a problem. David McDonald is a senior economist at the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives. Happy post-Canada Day, Dave. How you doing? Thanks. Uh, doing well, thanks. So um, there's a security guard busting it out. Now, I get it. I don't know her story more than I found out. And, I, and, and maybe there's a CEO that is, that, is, that is pulling in revenues and shareholders decide that they deserve 10 or 20 or 50 million bucks, whatever. Give me a sense of what CEOs in the last year have made. Can you walk me through here? Yeah, so the data that came out of the globe today, uh, on average, uh, sorry, sorry, this is the median you were citing earlier, the 23% increase in the median. This is 9.13. That's the median. Now, the average uh, change was 32%. So that's even higher. Uh, you know, and the average is going to be more skewed by folks at the high end, which is what happens in the, the CEO data. Uh, this is uh, in contrast to the increase in pay last year from 2019 to 2020, which was only 1.4% during the pandemic. Now, I think it's what's worth pointing out is that for CEO pay, they don't really get, I mean, they do get a salary, but that's a very small part of their overall package, usually around 10%. So, you know, it's a, a million dollars is pretty common as a pay package for these CEOs as the salary part. Now, the other part is what's really important, and that's really what's driving this difference between you know, average worker pay and CEO pay. And these are the bonuses. Uh, so they can get paid different ways in bonuses, sometimes cash, sometimes stock, sometimes stock options. Um, and so what happened during the pandemic, I think, was very telling. I mean, there's this idea of the meritocracy. Your company makes more, you get paid more. That's sort of the story that we're told. During the pandemic, that wasn't what happened at all. You would think, well, during the pandemic, a lot of companies actually lost a lot of money, particularly in the first quarter when the stock market crashed. Companies did very badly in the first couple of months. Um, And if we look back at the 2020 numbers, half of those top CEOs who got on this list were somehow protected from the worst of the pandemic, either because they're receiving government support through the wage subsidy program or their company was, or they just changed the way their bonus formulas calculated their bonuses to exclude the worst of the pandemic as if it didn't happen to maintain their pay levels. Right. And then when stock markets surged in 2021, And we have to remember here that this recovery is very weighted towards corporate profits and away from workers' wages. I mean, workers' wages are way behind inflation, but corporate profits are way ahead. I mean, this inflationary trend has been very much to the benefit of the corporate sector because they're able to raise prices much more quickly than workers can bid up their wages. And so they were way ahead of this this boom in inflation. Um, And so they see big gains on the revenue side, big gains on the mar, like historically high profit margins. And so in 2020, when they were setting all these bonus formulas, they, they set them very conservatively because it was a very bad time. So you set very conservative goals for 2021, which is where this data is from. Right. Uh, and then you, you smashed through those goals because they were very conservative. 
and because this recovery was historically weighted towards corporate profits and away from, from workers' wages, and you end up with a huge boon. So this is, I mean, this is the problem with CEO pay is its, is its merit, but only one way. If things go great, the sky's the limit. Uh, and if things go badly, well, you change the rules so that there isn't really a big hit. Or you go to the government and say, can you please give me the wage subsidy so, you know, my, my revenues don't go down. Whereas for the worker, what happens? Like, give me well, a sense worker, in the last yeah. 25 years, CEO pay has gone up and we haven't seen much wage increase for workers. Well, you know, I mean, you just look at workers and what happened in, the, in, in 2020. I mean, they didn't see huge bonuses. They got laid off. Right. I mean, this was the first couple of months of the pandemic for a lot of workers. They got laid off. And so now, I mean, you know, this is actually a decent time to be employed in Canada from the availability of employment perspective, not necessarily in terms of wages. I mean, workers wages, you know, real wage losses uh, of about four percent in the last year or so that workers are being paid less. You know, there are some wage gains, uh, but they're nowhere near the rate of inflation. Uh, you know, the rate of inflation is just under 8% now in the, over the last year. I mean, good luck to folks even who, you know, talk about a 23% increase in wages. The CEO's got up the median. Um, you know, try asking for an 8% wage increase, which is the average increase in the price of goods and services. Right. Um, and so what we're seeing here is that because these CEO pay packages have very little to do with um, you know, sharing the risk of the company and that sort of thing. It's all about, you know, upside, up, run the upside, right? Cap the downside. That's what CEO pay packages are all about. You see this widening gap between workers' wages and uh, and, and CEO wages because that's not the way workers' pay works. I mean, you know, workers' pay goes up in one of two ways. One is if minimum wages go up and sort of drives it up from the bottom, or if you quit. Um, you know, so now is a decent environment probably to quit and look for another job, but th- that certainly has not been the case um, through much of the you know last 20 years, you know people who would stay in jobs, and that's a very difficult. It's very difficult when you're in a job to bargain up your wages by five or ten percent. It's it is somewhat easier to quit. The great des- resignation that we're seeing in the U.S. just really hasn't happened in Canada. We're not seeing quit rates anywhere near what we're seeing in the U.S., and so that's not really a driving factor, unfortunately. Just unbelievable. Uh, David McDonald, it, I, I just wanted people to understand that, David, a senior economist at the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives. It's just just so remarkable. Like, we've got 7 8% inflation. People out there are listening. And, and you know, the CEO's got a 23% pay increase. And, and you and I, probably not. And the average worker, and we're lucky, the average worker, even less. Uh, Dave, uh, thank you, David. Uh, happy Canada Day. I really appreciate you putting that into perspective, ha- helping us understand it. Thank you. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. Now, maybe the alternative to trying to figure all that out and I just love to give you the breakdowns. So you got the tools to understand all that, because uh, I need them too. Is maybe you'd like to live like a naked hermit on an island? Wait till you hear this next story about living alone. Instant access to real people, real stories. The Evan Solomon Show is on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Imagine being a castaway on a deserted island. There's a famous story about a Japanese castaway, a guy named Matsutami Nagasaki who's 87, spent 29 years on a desert island. 
And then the Japanese government says, you've got to leave. 29 years. He was called the Naked Island Hermit, the only inhabitant of the Soto Benary Island for almost 30 years. And he was helped after a final by, by a guy named Alvaro Cerezo. Now, Alvaro Cerezo is a Spanish explorer, and he actually has a company called Do Castaway that literally drops tourists on deserted islands to live like the Japanese naked hermit, who Alvaro knows. And some people say, I just want to escape civilization. I want to live alone. Well, how do you do that? Well, maybe you, you, you call Do Castaway. And we have called Do Castaway. And it is a pleasure to welcome the Spanish explorer himself, Alvaro Cerezo. Hello, sir. Hello, how are you? I am great. This is a this is actually my wife just got back from Sable Island, which is a, basically an island of wild horses where no one lives on it, um, and and you can visit it. But just before we start your your remarkable company, tell me about the the, the naked. How did you meet the the naked hermit? Uh, actually, the first time I I met I met him was uh, in 2014 uh, while exploring islands in in a remote part of Okinawa in Japan. Uh, we were exploring islands for our future clients, no, for for clients that were the demand was growing and we needed more uh, new new desert islands for our clients. And, and 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 then we found this Japanese man living alone on a deserted island. And uh, for sure, I was really surprised, no? For 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 me and for us, it's like a it's kind of a hero, no? Uh, because our clients normally stay for uh, one week, two weeks, but he he stayed for already 28 years, you know, when 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 I first met him. So so so, what was he like? Like, tell tell us about Mr. Nagasaki's 87. He, he living on this island. Like, how did he eat? Like, what was he doing there? Uh, actually, he, I mean, he was, he was, he was actually not really surviving there. I mean, he was living there. Uh, he was naked. Actually, he, he started to be naked after 10 years after he started to be on the island, uh, because he thought, why I'm going to use clothes here? Uh, anyway, um, he's, he goes, he used to go because he's not there anymore. He used to go um, once a month to the nearest uh, location, I mean, nearest village, uh, because he has a little boat. Uh, he used to go once a month and get some supplies because he was getting some money uh, from the family. He got um, sons and they were sending like $100 uh, per month just to buy some food, rice, and basic stuff, and he bring it back to the island and stay for another month. Like that, he has been like 29 years, yeah. So 29 years. Now, now, so Alvaro, you're an explorer yourself. What was your fascination with um, inhab- des- deserted islands? Like, what is it? Uh, I mean, this is coming from from very, very, very young. I mean, I I used to have uh, my holidays every summer uh, with my family in a remote area in Spain, which is quite um, wild. And uh, I used to go by myself to remote coves, uh, hidden coves where there was no people. And I I got it was really strong um, experience, really strong feeling. You know, that like be alone, just with eight years old. I used to go with my little. 
uh, kayak, no? Uh, and and just being, of course, my parents didn't didn't know that I was doing that, no? It was uh, <laughs> it was very fast experience, and and that I think it was something that it, uh, it marked my life. I mean, it was it was uh, it gave me it, it stayed in my in my memories, mm. and and as soon as I started to mature, uh, I mean, I was fascinated by castaways uh, books and. And uh, when I I got 18, I I went to my first desert island in India. You so you went I, to a desert island. Now, have you been? How long have you been alone on an island? I'm speaking to Alvaro Cerezo, uh, Spanish explorer. He's the founder of, founder of Do Castaway, a company that drops tourists off on deserted islands to live completely alone, like his kind of inspiration, the Japanese naked hermit who lived almost 30 years alone. So so so, how long have you been alone for, Alvaro? Uh, I'm not liking, of course. I mean, I'm not that much extreme. Uh, I used to be on the islands for a month maximum. A month? Uh, you just stay alone yeah. for a month? Yes, yes. That's what that were my my records, especially in the beginning. Nowadays, I don't stay that long because. Is I go now for exploring new islands, uh, searching something, uh, taking videos of meeting real castaways and, and doing something. I mean, I'm I'm not going to an island just to be alone. I mean, this is something uh, I'm not doing that much anymore. Do you take like when you're alone? Do you take a tent? Do you take food? Like, what do you do when you like when you drop? Okay, so let's get to it. So let's say I say Alvaro, I want to spend. I want to be a castaway. I want to go to a, some deserted. How do you find the deserted island? And what do I take? Uh, okay, if you contact us, the first thing we ask you is uh, whether you want to choose the comfort mode or the survival mode. Uh, I mean, normally, uh, many people think, I mean, everyone thinks this is a survival company and it's not. It's, it's a company that helps you to stay away from civilization and be alone on a real deserted island, very remote. So the point is to be alone. So we have two modes because not everyone wants to survive. Just People just want to feel the uh, remoteness. You know? They they won't just want to be away, and and that is what we try to achieve. Uh, it's difficult to find islands where you really can be alone. I mean, right. even if you are on a deserted island, if you are in the Caribbean, uh, there will be yachts passing by, uh, tourists, uh, fishermen. Um, it's very difficult to find a, a real deserted island that you can really be alone and not see even people in the distance, like even boats, nothing in the horizon. So that is our goal, and that is the challenge. And this is the beautiful part of my of my of my job, no, of my of my work. And my you business. found uh, how many of these deserted islands have you found? Uh, I mean, found many. The, I mean, many like um, maybe I don't know, hundred. Uh, wow, which is interesting. Yeah, the problem is making this island possible. Because in such a remote places, it's very difficult to find uh, qualified people to prepare the experience. It's very difficult to find, especially, I mean, it's even difficult to find the real owner because many people claim to be the owner. So it's kind of challenging uh, finding the people, finding the, the real owner, getting the permits from the government. I mean, desert islands are many out there, but there not all of them are feasible. That's so crazy. So, so okay, I'm going to continue this conversation. I'll take a break in a minute. But let's say I'm in survival mode. Like, do I have to take stuff? Do I take a tent? Do I take food? Do I take water? Like, or, you know, what happens? Exactly. I mean, uh, that's that's the thing. Uh, whether you choose survival, you, you need to choose survival mode or comfort mode. I mean, even if you choose the survival mode, you can bring whatever you want. We don't push you to, to do your experience in the way you want to. I mean, 
when the day you pick you, we pick you up uh, on the airport and we drop you on the island. I mean, before getting into the boat, we show the client in, in our van because we got different islands around the world. In each island, we have our team. So uh, we got an equipment that the, the clients can choose first before they go to the island. Even if they go with nothing, we can we can deliver new tools. Or in case they they cannot handle. So normally our clients try to do with nothing. They want to choose survival mode. Uh, they try to go with nothing, and they can do it. Maybe just bring a machete, or maybe they don't bring even a machete. But that is quite difficult. I mean, at least they bring fire a machete, because with that is it's much. It's going to be much easier. No, I mean it's, wow. it can get really complicated to be without even machete. A machete. And fire. Okay, okay, hang on. Let, let me take, because you need fire. Yeah, I, okay, Alvaro, can you stick around for a block? Alvaro uh, Cerezo yeah. is a Spanish explorer. He's got this company called Do Castaway, which basically will drop you off on a deserted island. You can take survival mode or comfort mode, comfort mode, and you're alone. And he's been inspired by the naked hermit, um, which is also a, a remarkable story. A, a Japanese man who spent 30 years on a deserted island, like naked. Um, would you do this? Would you like to spend time alone on a deserted island, checking out of society? Text me at 71010. Alvaro's going to stick around. Would you do it? How long would you do it for? Stay with me. Authentic voices, real conversations. This is The Evan Solomon Show. On the iHeartRadio Talk Network. We have breaking news right now and tragic breaking news. It's July 4th. And in Chicago at Highland Park, there is a mass shooting event. Five people are dead, 19 taken to hospital. It was a parade in the 4th of July in a Chicago suburb of Highland Park. The suspect is still at large. It is an active situation. Police are responding to the shooting. Um, There are bodies covered everywhere. Um, I want to tell you a bit about Highland Park. If you don't know this area, it's a suburb of Chicago. It is actually a heavily uh, Jewish suburb. I don't know if that has anything to do with the, uh, the killing. I've just spoken to the former U.S. ambassador to Canada, like literally at the commercial break, Bruce Heyman, who knows that area well. He's from Chicago. He lives in Chicago. He knows that area well. Um, And he's giving me details. Um, He has many friends in Highland Park. um, And it is a, a prominent Jewish suburb. I don't know, again, if that the motive of the shooting, because the shooter is still active. So it is the 4th of July, five dead, 19 hospital, and a mass shooting event in the United States. The suspect still at large. It happened in a July 4th parade. We're watching that situation. It is, our hearts go out to, to folks just wanting to celebrate. And uh, when we get any more information about that, we will tell you. Um, God, that is horrible. Here we are trying to talk about getting away. When the world is too chaotic. By the way, the scenes in Chicago are so devastating. And, and many people just say, I, I can't take it anymore. I need to check out. 
And we're literally talking to Alvaro Cerezo, a Spanish explorer and the founder of something called Do Castaway, a company that literally says, if you want to get out in a desert island and live alone, uh, like the, the naked hermit of Japan who spent 30 years, they will help you do it. And, and, and at times like this, sometimes you think you, you want to get out. Alvaro, thank you for joining us. I'm, I'm sure here we are in the midst of our discussion, and, and, and then this is the reality that we're living in, these horrific scenes in, in Chicago. Um, why do people call you? Why, why, what are the reasons they want to go on a deserted island for, for a while? Uh, uh, actually, they, I think there are two kind of clients, uh, mainly. Uh, people that they want just to escape. Uh, so... Of course, they can choose whether any of these two modes, uh, comfort or survival. And these people are normally fed up of going to beaches in, in and, 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 and islands in Thailand or on the Caribbean that is full of tourists, and 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 they want something different. No? They, uh, they they want to to have the real escape, no? And they just want to relax or spend time uh, reading books and and. and and spending time with the couples because there are many couples going as well, especially in the comfort mode. Uh, but there's also this kind of client that they want to test themselves, and this is the the ones they go for real survival. They want to prove that they can survive. I don't know, maybe in a in a chaotic scenario, no, like a world war. Or, or also there are, there are also many people that they, they they are fascinated by castaway stories since they were kids no? yeah. and they were they were impacted by by movies like castaway or the blue lagoon but tell me something um what happens if something happens to them like do they have a phone can they contact someone like they're, they're how long are they alone on an island like what if they, they can't eat what if they can't i choose survival mode i don't have any water i don't have any food i'm getting starving i, I fall down i trip and i hit my head like what's the safety precaution yeah exactly uh, that's 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 why we are 24 hours standing by for them they got uh, a phone uh, Depending on how remote is the island, uh, they use uh, just a regular phone, but they maybe there's some network still. Even uh, 20 kilometers away from, from the antenna, uh, you can still have some network. So no, our islands are that remote. Maybe they are in remote areas, but maybe it's not that far from the mainland. Uh, it's not a very populated uh, location. Uh, there's no many fishermen, no many, not, there is no cities around, but it's still an antenna. These islands are quite... Are quite uh, demanding, demanded because they uh, they are not that expensive because you don't need satellite phone. Uh, when you go to a very remote island, of course you need uh, more complex equipment, and, and of course in case of emergency we go for rescue. Depending whether how far is this right. island, uh, we will take us more time. I mean, uh, some um, islands we need uh, we cannot guarantee we will stay there in less than twelve hours or twenty four hours. Uh, Alvaro Cerezo, Spanish explorer, founder of Ducasway. Alvaro, unfortunately, I'm going to cut out. We have breaking news. The police are giving a press conference about an active shooter situation in Chicago. I'm going to cut to it right now. Please listen in. This is the police chief. Uh, I was present at approximately 10:14 when this started. There was an active shooter incident that occurred in downtown Highland Park during our 4th of July holiday parade this morning. This was an active incident, and all individuals are still urged to shelter in place at this time. Highland Park Police and numerous federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies are searching for the suspect. The suspect is currently described as a male white, approximately 18 to 20 years old, 
with longer black hair, a small build, and wearing a white or blue t-shirt. A firearm has been recovered from the scene. We have secured the perimeter around downtown, downtown Highland Park and are continuing our searches. At this time, two dozen people have been transported to Highland Park Hospital. Six are confirmed deceased. Anyone with video, photos, or other evidence are urged to contact Highland Park Police Public Safety Dispatch at 847-432-7730. We will provide a tip line. This information will be in short order. Thank you. This morning at 1014, our community was terrorized by an act of violence that has shaken us to our core. Our hearts go out to the families of the victims during this devastating time. On a day that we came together to celebrate community and freedom, we're instead mourning the loss, the tragic loss of life and struggling with the terror that was brought upon us. While we've all felt the burden of this terrible act, I want to pause and thank the first responders who ran towards the danger to render aid during this active shooter situation. You are we listening to a press conference in Highland Park in Chicago. There is an active shooter situation. Apparently there is a suspect they are still looking for between 18 and 20 white male who opened fire, killing six Two dozen people are in hospital. This is in Highland Park during the July 4th parade at 1014. Suspects still at large. People are being told to shelter in place. What a tragedy. People trying to celebrate their country. People out. And now the deadly shooting. Another mass shooting. It's so tragic. We started this program talking about this. And here... Here we are, uh, police in Chicago, in Highland Park, um, in an active shooter situation. Please take care of yourselves, everyone. Our thoughts, thoughts and prayers mean so little, but what else can we do this far away? We're thinking about the people in Chicago. We hope there's an end to this violence. We pray for it. But, we gotta, but there are more answers than prayer. Practical answers that need to be discussed. Thanks for listening, everyone. Talk to you tomorrow.